Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I'm on my second mug of coffee, so you know, as far as I'm concerned, life is good. (laughs) Two two of 44. (laughs) Um, So I noticed, so I know you're teaching uh, politics and film this this fall. Right. And um, because I was privy to your syllabus, um, I noticed that, sorry, that's just a fun way to say syllabus. I know how to pronounce the word syllabus. the, see, I, see, I didn't know if you went ahead and said the word that way just to get a reaction out of me. <laughs> I actually said the word that way to get a reaction out of one of our listeners who I know constantly uh, d- dislikes when I say that. Um, so on your syllabus, there is a movie called Wag the Dog, and I have never seen Wag the Dog. Okay. So I don't know anything about it. Um, and I know that it's a political term, wagging the dog, but I'm not entirely positive that I, that I completely understand it. Can you explain it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so you're using uh, uh, the, uh, the pronunciation of uh, explain that uh, uh, was commonplace and I love Lucy. Very nice. Okay. You're, <laughs> I try. I also say Paschetti. So good. just so you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 you're just throwing out all kinds of cultural references. <laughs> Okay. Yep, that's my childhood playing up right there. Okay, we're we're barely two minutes into the podcast. Okay, and I'm just like, wow, I'm getting whiplash, <laughs> <laughs> which is saying a lot because many of my students are like taking class with you, Augie, is like intellectual whiplash. Okay, uh, we don't know where you're gonna go. We, you know, but you're gonna get there in a rather um, interesting pathway. <laughs> I think of it as pleasantly circuitous. <laughs> Non-linear thinking at its best. Yes, that's so, us. So wag the dog. Wag the dog is actually a political um, uh, expression, um, and it's commonplace, interestingly enough, with elections and campaigns. And the thinking is this, okay? Okay, think about a dog whose tail is wagging, right? Oh. Yeah, very good. Most of us are... <laughs> You know, uh, it, 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 it invinces, if you will, very pleasant feelings of, uh, when we see a dog who's wagging its tail. Yeah, because they hardly ever attack you when they're wagging their tail. That's right. They're usually being friendly. Yes. But as you're caught up with, okay, these feelings of awe, how cute. That's they're right. Excited, oh, adorable. They're excited to see me. Okay. It's distracting you from the fact that just a few moments ago, that same dog may have chewed up your favorite pair of slippers. Okay. So wagging the dog refers to, if you will, politicians creating pseudo events to distract you. Okay. From a reality. Okay. That may be detrimental to them. So for instance, in the movie, uh, wag the dog, (laughs) the incumbent president, uh, creates a fictitious war, a war that doesn't even occur as a way to distract the public from the fact that there are allegations that perhaps he acted inappropriately with a Girl Scout. Okay? 
So he hires a media firm to create this fictitious war, okay, that the media buys into, that the public, you know, rallies around the flag to distract the public from the fact that he more than likely is a pedophile. But nobody's getting killed in this war because nobody's no. actually fighting this war. Nobody's fighting this war. But it's an event, okay, that wags the dog, okay, that distracts you from the fact that, okay, the commander-in-chief, okay, um, is actually a sleazeball, okay? And they hire uh, uh, a PR firm who then hires a big-name Hollywood director played by Dustin Hoffman to go ahead and in effect, create a film of a war that doesn't exist, that nobody dies in, okay? To go ahead and distract, if you will, the public from the fact that our president, okay, is more than likely a sleazeball, wagging the dog, okay? And there have been accusations, okay? Some of which are based in conspiracy theories, but others that are like, hey, wait a minute here. Okay, was this an example of wagging the dog? Okay, so the most recent example, and you and I have discussed this at length, is the current, if you will, controversy about the United States Postal Service. Okay, the United States Postal Service. The allegation is um, President Trump has appointed a director of the Postal Service, okay, to create delays in the Postal Service, okay, processing, delivering, if you will, mail ballots for this fall's election in an attempt to either go ahead and harm the opposition candidate, okay, ballots that may have been cast for the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden, don't get counted or don't get delivered on time so they don't get counted, okay? Or to go ahead and raise the specter, okay, that the only reason why the president lost is that we have all of these irregularities and fraud in regards to mail ballots. Is this an example of the president, if you will, creating the conditions of wagging the dog? Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It does. Yeah. Uh, although I think it's interesting that we would assume um, malice when it could in fact just be incompetence. Or. Right. Like, I mean, it could be that the guy who's running the post office just doesn't know what he's doing. That could Maybe be he's not trying to destroy the election. Maybe he's just a schmuck. Like, he's I'm not trying to be. Yeah, a okay. joke about that, but there is that possibility. There's that possibility. Uh, there's also the possibility that there have been long-term structural problems with the United States Postal Service that are going to get really exposed by a whole bunch of Americans, okay, casting their ballots by mail this year. Right, <laughs> because it hasn't been used for, that for mail in quite a long time right. at that level of mail. Yes, that yeah. volume, okay. I mean, let's face it, if the predictions are correct by many voting experts, okay, throughout the country, okay, we're going to see the highest volume of mailed ballots in our country's history, okay? And it's 
with a government agency, and by the way, let's be very clear, the United States Postal Service is not a standard executive branch agency. The United States Postal Service is a government corporation, okay? It used to be an executive branch agency that was controlled by the Office of President because it was part of the executive branch. But in the early 1970s, in fact, I think it was 1971, the United States Congress passed a law that made the Postal Service a government corporation, just like Amtrak, just like the Tennessee Valley Authority, okay? And in creating a government corporation, okay, the expectation as written in law is that the Postal Service is supposed to be financially solvent, just like a private sector corporation. Although Amtrak isn't. No. So it's its own weird little thing because it got treated very differently. It has to have enormous amounts of money in reserve because of paying its, its pensions out into the future. Like it's got all these weird rules that, that don't apply to any other agency. So one could argue that in the, oh, I don't know, the special year of 2020, that every single U.S. postal chicken is coming home to roost. Oh, oh my You have goodness. all of the structural mess that Congress created by trying to make it this independent thing that has to have has a billion dollars stuck in its account. So it can't ever get out into the black because it's, it's constantly running in a deficit. Then you get a, 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 I don't, is he a chair? No, he's a secretary. No, he's a chair. I don't yeah. know the head, the postmaster general, the postmaster, you get a general yeah. who may or may not have a real good idea of the functioning of the post office. And then you have all these structural problems with, with some of it having to do with unions, some of it having to do with, with training all these other issues and it's all coming together in the 2020 election. Where we're gonna have greater use of the postal service. <laughs> yeah, it's a little terrifying. Okay, I mean- But I'm not entirely certain that, that any one person could have seen that coming 30 years ago or 40 no. years ago when they started this train down this track. No, To use I mean, the Amtrak reference. Yeah, I mean, and in, in, in for our loyal listeners, um, uh, we have done two previous podcast episodes about the Postal Service. Um, uh, one, how do you, you know, the, uh, the, the creation of stamps. How do you get on a stamp, okay? Uh, an episode we did uh, uh, with our colleague and friend, uh, uh, Hillary, okay? Um, and then uh, we also did a standalone podcast episode about the history and evolution and why we ever even had a Postal Service, okay, which was really groundbreaking um, uh, when it was created. Um, well, and a fundamental service that drew the country together. Together, okay. Uh, which was the logic of Ben Franklin uh, uh, when he wanted the Postal Service created, okay? But, you know, to your point, you know, I could go ahead and plausibly make the argument that the Postmaster General, uh, what's the guy's name, Lewis? I don't know. Uh, he just came before Congress, too. Yeah, uh, his name is Lewis. Yes, folks. Uh, we're looking it up on Google. 
Um, oh my goodness. Louis de. Louis de Joy. Yes, Louis de Joy. Oh, we should have remembered de Joy. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Louis de Joy. Okay. I mean, I could plausibly make the argument that on one hand, he was uh, ill-prepared, okay, to be Postmaster General. This is a guy who in the private sector ran a logistics company. He had never worked in government, okay? And as you and I have discussed in previous podcast episodes, running a government agency, even if it's a government corporation, is not like running a corporation in the private sector, okay? On the other hand, you could go ahead and argue he was picked in part because he did run a logistics company, okay, whose purpose is to ship, okay, goods and services from point A to point B for various other industries, okay? But even if he was prepared, Nia, as you pointed out, okay, you're talking about how the United States Congress set an agency, okay, on a path, okay, by making it a government corporation where they have to compete with the private sector for delivering mail, okay? But as you also pointed out, with qualifications, with burdens that private sector corporations don't have to deal with, right? So if you look at, for instance, the, just the finances of the Postal Service, okay? They're drawing in less money because fewer Americans are using first cl class mail, okay? We just know this, right? Right. You and I like getting mail, okay? But you we're ancient. Okay. We were around when dinosaurs delivered mail. Okay. So you in particular have said in previous podcast episodes, you even like getting flyers and coupons in the mail. Okay. I do. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> then you have the competition from the private sector. Including the guy who's the postmaster general. Hello. Yes. yes right. I mean, talk about a conflict of interest. I run logistics companies. Here, let me run this one for the government into the ground. Okay, the United States. Sorry, I'm a little bitter right now about what's going on with the post office. Yes, I, I, and I understand. The United States Postal Service, as we discussed previously, has a mandate to deliver mail to all, all parts of the country. So unlike private sector competitors, the Postal Service can't go ahead and say, it's not cost efficient to deliver mail to Dubois, Pennsylvania, my hometown, which is in the middle of rural PA, right? Right, or some ranch in Montana. Yeah. Like it, it, it has to deliver mail. It's they don't get to say it. that, right? Yeah. They don't get to say, yeah, you're too far. I'm not feeling it today. Yes. So we'll just bring you some mail sometime next month. I mean, okay. that's not how they deliver to Inuit towns in Alaska. Like, yes. Okay. And they're required by law to do so. Okay. They're required. Which is by a good thing. Yes. Right? I think. Okay. Um, as you pointed out, the personnel system for the United States Postal Service has been criticized uh, by any number of folks. Okay. It's bloated like many federal government personnel systems, um, by the way. Um, and I hope uh, the VCU administration is not listening to this part of this podcast episode. But, v, you know, Nia, you and I work for a state agency. Its personnel oh. system at times is extremely cumbersome, slow to respond, okay, et cetera, right. et cetera, right? Right, top heavy. Yes, okay. I mean, okay. And, and in the case of, it, of an agency like the U.S. Postal Service, um, the... The sheer volume of people that right. have to manage. 
Right. And, the, and it used to be that you took a civil service exam. I don't know whether you still do or not to, to work for the postal service, but it wasn't that hard. Like, I'm not trying to be difficult, but it was a test that most people could pass. Um, and they didn't get a huge amount of training when they, when they went into postal service work because a lot of it is physical manual labor, picking this thing up and walking across the room with it and putting it into a different bin and that kind of thing. I don't know. It, 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 there's a lot to it and it's really big. I get it. I, I just think, but it's still super valuable. It's still important. The postal person, and I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I feel like it bears repeating. If one of my parents was living alone, like if my other parent, goodness forbid, passed away, the postal person is the person who comes every day and would notice if the mail hadn't been brought into the house for a couple of days and they would come up and knock on the door and ask, y'all are right in here? Like that, that's sort of what they, they have this whole secondary purpose that is, that is social that that is so incredibly valuable that when people say we should just get rid of the post office i think okay but the ups guy doesn't have time to do that he's delivering eighty hundred thousand packages in a day well in in in, in your and point, he doesn't go to the same house every day in in, in your point here is uh, i think relevant to this debate about the role of the post office in the upcoming election because there are some people who believe the post office okay should be made a private good, okay? Where they have to compete with the private sector and if they're, you know, uh, if their revenues do not exceed their costs, okay, then they have to go ahead and either find ways to increase revenue or decrease costs. And what you just pointed out is not something that's typically part of a calculation for a private sector corporation. On the other hand, if you believe the post, post, postal service is a public good, then if it loses money, so be it. Right. Because it is serving other goods, right? I mean, you have right. your- Parks don't generally make money. Money, right? And that's But we believe that parks are a good thing generally as a society. And, and I remember, okay, and again, um, and I, you know, we apologize if the podcast, uh, if these podcast episodes end up uh, being uh, an example of you know, old people saying, I remember when. Okay. <laughs> That's right. And you kids get off my lawn. But, you know, as recently as the 1990s in the early part of this millennium, there was a movement called the new uh, 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 NPM, new public management. And new public management arose, interestingly enough, from a Democratic presidential administration, the Clinton administration, um, they did a review of federal government agencies and concluded that all the red tape associated with federal government agencies, okay, uh, hindered the ability of agencies to be more entrepreneurial, more flexible, okay, to take initiative, okay? And the idea of new public management was we should encourage federal agencies, okay, to adopt some of the methods and some of the practices of the private sector. We want greater efficiency. We want uh, a greater effectiveness, okay? We gotta reduce all that red tape that holds government agencies accountable. 
Okay. I remember this. Wasn't Al Gore in charge of that? Yep, yep. National Performance Review. Okay. Big report, right? But part of that, okay, as it related to the Postal Service, okay, is this idea that a lot of the public good functions of postal of the post office or the postal service, like other federal agencies, including parks. Okay. I remember when they started debating whether or not we should charge admittance fees for either national or state parks. And the thinking was, okay, they could make us money. But a lot of people push back, okay? Aren't parks supposed to be public goods? Enjoyed by everybody, whether or not they were rich, poor, middle class, okay, people of color, okay, whatever the case may be, okay? We should encourage people to go to parks because going to parks is a good thing, right? Get them out of their houses, get them out of their cars, get, you know, out in nature, learn about nature, okay, decompress, slow down, whatever the case may be. But that's part of the debate here, right? Because you got a president, as we have discussed a number of times, who comes from the private sector, right? who appointed somebody to be the postmaster general, okay? Who, by the way, not for nothing, this week, the commission, okay, that oversees the United States Postal Service, okay, gave an overwhelming endorsement for the work that Louis DeJoy is doing, okay? The commission made it very clear, okay? We have decided in our strategic plan that the Postal Service needs to go ahead and get rid of all those blue boxes, or at least some of those blue boxes that we, you know, we old timers still put our mail in because a lot of them, okay, require personnel, okay, to stop and get mail, and many of them don't have all that much mail. We told DeJoy to go ahead and get rid of postal uh, sorting, uh, mail sorting machines, okay, that hardly get as much use. While they would get a whole bunch of use this coming fall, <laughs> we are predicting, okay, but again, you know, we have these tensions, okay, and it really struck a whole bunch of us as you want to go ahead and make fundamental changes to the post office, during a pandemic that may cause a fundamental shift in how Americans vote. Why are you doing this? Yeah, this is not the time. Yes. Why are you doing I'm this? fine with doing this two years from now after we've gotten used to what's going on with COVID um, and gotten some sort of normality back to, I don't know. Uh, it, yeah. But... Um, but in fairness to Mr. DeJoy, and I was not being fair, and you're right, I was not being fair. He's doing what he was asked to do. Sure. And yeah. I'm sure he's like, uh, excuse me, I was just doing my job. And I was, I was asked to do, I was asked to streamline, I was asked to cut the bloat, I was asked to try to help with the finances, and that's what I'm trying to do. So... I hate when you do this to me. I hate when you do this to me because I come in with an idea and I think a thing and you're like, oh, it turns out, Nia. And I'm like, oh, nah. but 
I want to bring up a different thing. Okay. Because I do think the post office is being used. I, I personally don't think it's a conspiracy theory so much as I think it's a, I think it's a, um, it, it's all the streams crossing in uh, Ghostbusters, right? Like, don't cross the streams. I think all the cre- streams are crossing, and I do think that there is some deliberation in that. Um, I don't know, but I, I'm, I, it could be that I'm just a conspiracy theorist. However, it furthers a narrative. It furthers a narrative that we have seen with the current presidential administration. Right, I which mean, is that is- the elections can't be trusted. I mean, this was this was something that Donald Trump was saying when he ran for president in 2016. Right. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to accept the results of the election because I don't know if election results can be trusted in trusted, the United States. Right. And oh yeah, by the way, okay, not for nothing. There's also a po- pocket of the Democratic Party base who is also skeptical that votes will be counted, okay, appropriately. Because these are the same folks who think that Bernie Sanders got screwed in 2016 and this year. You can't trust the elites, okay, in regards to voting outcomes, because look what they did to my candidate, right? Yeah. So we have a narrative already in place, right? We have a narrative in place, right? And I tend to agree with you. It is, okay, like in Ghostbusters, (laughs) where, you know, the streams are, you know, or in in public policy literature, uh, this is John Kingdon's garbage can uh, 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 theory for how policy gets made. We got all these streams, these garbage cans, and this election gives a window of opportunity for all those streams to come together, all that garbage to float up from those cans. You know, policy ideas, policy entrepreneurs, and oh yeah, by the way, a political leader who basically is going out and running around the countryside saying votes won't be counted correctly. There will be fraud. Even though that runs counter to decades of political science research that says by and large, okay, we do a fabulous job counting votes. Oh yeah, the the fraud is something like, and I don't remember the numbers, but let's just pretend that these are because it's, it's the proportion is right. It's like two thousand fraudulent votes out of two billion ballots cast. Like it's some extraordinarily tiny number. It is less than one tenth of one percent of vo- all votes counted. It's right? not enough to influence an election. Yes. Okay, I tell students this all the time. Okay, our individual votes have very little impact. Okay, on right. election out on, on election outcomes. Right, your okay. your vote counts in aggregate. So, by the way, we are not saying don't vote. We no, are no, saying no, no, vote no, 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 absolutely no. vote. Vote, but your individual vote mathematically is non-existent. It's it would, it's it's in the aggregate that your vote matters matters and it would require a conspiracy okay of epic proportion for vote fraud to actually have an impact okay on an election and i think all sides would have to join that conspiracy like you you wouldn't be able to just it would be one of those things where it would be almost impossible now i'm not saying completely impossible because we pulled off 
the the nuclear bomb in World War II without people knowing what was going on, right? So it is possible to make something huge and have people not know about it. But it's pretty, it, it would be pretty hard to do now with the number of watchdog groups and people who watch these sorts of things and people who are hypersensitive and hyper aware of the potential of, of, um, of election fraud. Nia, just think about this, and we're going to discuss this in a future podcast episode. Both candidates and both political parties have already hired armies of attorneys right. and observers, okay, for to how fight votes, this out for how votes are going to be cast and counted, okay, and easily a dozen to eighteen, quote unquote battleground states for for that kind of you know conspiracy to occur okay in this day and age just boggles my mind i mean i just can't get my mind around it but if you go ahead and say okay mailed ballots increase the likelihood of fraud and oh yeah by the way the government corporation tasked with delivering these okay is a poorly run shop, okay? Well, now you got a story. You got, right. okay, you got a tall tale, right? And, you know, and in terms of wagging the dog, okay, it's not the equivalent of creating a fictional war. Okay? Thank goodness. Okay, but it definitely goes ahead and distracts us from the fact that it's going to be difficult, okay, to cast votes, and count them this year. Yeah. Okay? And of course, it, of course it would be because it's we're living in a pandemic. Right. We're living in weird times, okay. in case nobody noticed. Where being able to do your civic duty by going to your neighborhood polling precinct, okay, is going to be more difficult. Right. Okay? The way votes are going to be counted, because more of us are going to be uh, uh, casting votes by mail, okay, are going to require some significant reallocation of staff resources, both at the local government level, but also at the state government level. Okay, and, you know, and I mentioned this, you know, this past winter, okay, when the pandemic hit, you and I were talking about this in a podcast, right? Okay, that is going to be a significant challenge for many states and local governments, right? And that's before going ahead and saying you shouldn't trust the post office, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because the post office sucks. And I'm sorry, but that is the equivalent of everything that has been being said about the post office. On both sides. Oh, my God, yes. Um, yeah, uh, my goodness. So Oh, but can I, uh, so I want to make sure that I, I've got your wag the dog concept fully in my brain. So this is, this question about the post office is an open question because it could just be that all the streams are crossing and it's not actually a deliberate effort by the president in order to influence an election. Sure. But I put to you that we do have evidence of a deliberate effort of the president to influence an election. And that was when people got their stimulus checks, 
They had the name Donald Trump on them. Sure. They were, they were endorsed by Donald Trump. Yes. Even though no check in the history of humankind in the United States d- issued by the federal government had had the name of the president on it before. That's correct. That president, usually the name is the treasury secretary, right? It's usually correct. the... Yes. But secretary that, I, I perceive that as an, as an attempt to influence sure. voters, is to say, look, in this time of need, I sent you a $1,200 check. Neil, what you're referencing is the fact that incumbents in elections frequently will do things to make them look, okay, either more presidential or more like a governor or more like a a mayor, okay, or more like, you know, your, you know, congressional representative. It is a time-honored practice, okay, (laughs) of, you know, know, to put your thumb on the scale just a little bit. Sure, okay. You know, it's like a member of Congress who goes ahead and announces two months before an election, uh, we're going to do a ribbon cutting for a new wing for the local hospital, which, by the way, because I had that earmarked in the most recent budget bill we passed, we're going to get that new wing. And it's going to be 45 construction jobs, and it's going to be... That's right. Right, X number of medical personnel jobs and blah, 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 yeah. Yes, okay. And that's a time-honored practice, which has been criticized by challengers, okay, for decades, if not centuries, okay? Well, yeah, I mean, when the president can hold a press conference at the White House... Yes. During his convention, which I honestly had never seen before. That was unusual. Uh, I had but never it, seen that that it, particular backdrop, and part of that may have been COVID and the lack of safety of travel, right? Because we do know that when the president does travel to rallies, sometimes people, because they gather in groups, have become ill. Um, Herman Cain, may he rest in peace, was at the... Yeah was at the the one in Oklahoma, I think, and became ill there, right? So, uh, but but I'd never seen that before. And I have to admit, it threw me off a little bit. I was like, oh, that's a, an interesting use of that particular backdrop. But you, what you're telling me is that, it, that that's just a, a normal practice of doing business in the sense of you whoa, have whoa, a... Whoa, whoa. Well, you have a thumb, go. you can put your thumb on a, on a scale. Okay, well, let's make a distinction, okay? Okay. What the president did during the Republican National Convention by using, for instance, the White House, okay, or using, for instance, a naturalization uh, ceremony for new citizens, that was different. That broke, if you will, norms, Okay. Because typically, okay, um, with the party's national conventions, you would have some site in some important city or state. With lots of red, white, and blue balloons. Balloons and flags (laughs) and, you know, uh, a band that plays all kinds of music, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, And lots of confetti. that That was unusual, but it didn't break any laws. It broke you know, behavioral norms, okay? Convention. Okay, Okay. but it didn't break any laws, okay? 
I would distinguish that from, if you will, presidents, and we'll just use presidents as an example, of doing things that make them look presidential, okay? So, you know, you know one of the allegations of, uh, that was leveled against Bush 41 was that the Persian Gulf War, okay, was as much about oil and as much about Bush 41 uh, winning re-election than it was actually um, uh, freeing our uh, friends in uh, Kuwait, okay? Okay, you know, was that a wag the dog moment, right? Okay. Did Bill Clinton, in an attempt to distract, okay, the uh, Whitewater Special Counsel's investigation, okay, um, provide military assistance to Haiti, okay, or get us involved in Kosovo, okay, where those wag the dog moments, okay, because again, for uh, listeners of the podcast, if <laughs> you were of age when, uh, when me and I were, okay, the pressure on Bill Clinton, okay, uh, definitely uh, increased, after he won re-election, okay, when uh, the Kenneth Starr Whitewater investigation report got released, it was pretty clear that we had a president who for most of his elected professional life, okay, was having extramarital affairs, right? So, okay, the question became, okay, is he using foreign affairs as a way to distract the country from the fact, okay, that, you know, he was having extramarital affairs, okay? Um, you know, so these are, so I'm going to draw a distinction between what the Trump administration did during the Republican National Convention, okay, which broke a different set of norms, behavioral norms, versus a wag the dog event is designed to go ahead and distract the public from, shall we say, an unpleasant reality that may may make an incumbent look bad. So the checks fit the bill because the handling of the oh, yeah. coronavirus outbreak has not been particularly graceful and at the time of this recording we now know that the president knew that it was more serious. deadly and yes. serious than he initially communicated to the united states that's right so the uh, checks could in fact work in that sense because they're a distraction from yes the sort of bungling of yeah. the initial handling of the i see Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Trump, I see the distinction. Okay. Yeah. So Trump can go, you know, Trump can go ahead and say, I'm getting criticized for how my administration responded to COVID-19 pandemic. On the other hand, look at what I'm doing to go ahead and help you all. These checks that I've personally distributed with my name on it, okay, are going to help you get through, okay, the you know you know economic dislocation being caused by the pandemic okay so i'm not a bad guy i actually recognize you're going through a tough time and oh you know, yeah by the way remember who signed your check gotcha 
Okay. Okay. That was a, a separate thing yeah. than. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that is an example of why the dog, right? I mean, because you know, <laughs> what I heard. I mean, you know, hey, I mean, you know, my check got direct direct deposited, right? But when I went ahead and pulled it up, okay, you know, the underlying paperwork, okay, when it got reported. Yeah, the image, yeah. Okay, I was just like, really? The president's name is on this. I'm like, there's nothing that I've ever received from the Department of Treasury of the federal government that's ever had a president's name attached, right? I've never received anything that had a president's name attached. How much? Yeah, right, yeah. Of course, okay. I'm not on the Christmas card mailing list, but I'm just saying yeah. I've never, yeah. uh, which yeah. by the way, listeners, if you want to get on that list, all you have to do is mail them a Christmas card. That's right. Yep. And you will be added to the list and then you will get one of the first family's Christmas cards. I have a couple of friends who have sent Christmas cards to every presidential administration and they've gotten one back in a future year. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it works like magic because there's somebody in the office who their whole job is to compile a list and then send out millions of Christmas cards. And that's called constituent service, my friends, okay? Which you know what they're going to need in order to make that work? A post office. <laughs> a fully functioning post office. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying, if enough of us send them Christmas cards, they're going to have to keep the post office. <laughs> That should be our new movement. Our new movement should be to encourage everyone to send a postcard or a Christmas card to the White House. Oh, hey, well, let's not stop there, Nia. Send a Christmas card, send a birthday card. No, no, send, no, 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 no. Send all kinds of cards to the president so that you can get on every one of their lists. Why stop at the president? Do it for all your elected officials. Oh, that's true. Send them to your members of Congress. Congress, send them to your governor's office. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Because you'll get on all their lists. You'll get a whole bunch of Christmas cards. You can compare them. You can make fun of different fonts. You can hey, make fun of different pictures if you want to. Spend $10 on buying a box of varied Christmas cards. Spend another $10 for stamps. Okay. And then identify who your elected officials are. I'm totally doing that this year. <laughs> In case you're wondering, that is going to be my October project. I'm going to send one to every single one of my elected officials and, and be like, look forward to hearing from you, XOXO Nia. <laughs> Hugs and kisses, uh, hat tip, which is one of my favorite expressions. Hat tip, okay, your, your favorite political science professor, okay, Augie. Okay. <laughs> and then they'll write back to you, dear Augie, right? Because that's how you will yes, identify yourself. Yes, yeah, right. Hey, maybe I should get a stamp, okay, with Ooh. a coffee mug and my oh, name. With Augie written on the mug. Like, yeah, well, yeah, ooh, yeah, that yeah, would be, yeah. you could have your own trademark. <laughs> See earlier episode. Um, <clears throat> okay, but we, that would be fun. But okay, so, okay, but I can see that, okay, so, yes. so a gray area for me about using, sort of using agencies to further your presidential um, or your congressional uh, um, um, forays is, so I know that the members of Congress go across the street to big rooms to make donor phone calls. Yes. 
and that traditionally the president has made donor phone calls from the residents, not from the Oval Office. Right. Is there a law about that, or is that just something that they do because they're trying to separate the two activities, election from elected? Historically, there have been no laws that govern what elected officials can do on government property. So it's been more of a behavioral norm. So what you're talking about, Nia, is a kind of sort of uh, established practice. We need to separate campaigning from governing. Right. Okay. So if we're in the Oval Office, okay, we can't do campaign work. Okay. And the reason why is um, it is, you know, kind of sort of expected by the public, the Oval Office is where the president does his job. The residence is, you know, considered the president's home, okay? So therefore, the president can go ahead and do, you know, phone calls to potential donors, coordinate upcoming campaign events, etc. But the line gets very blurry, right? You know, if the president goes ahead and um, you know, goes to a state um, after a hurricane, okay? On one hand, you, you can say that the president is going there to make sure that the federal government is helping that state after a natural disaster. On the other hand, it's quite obvious that the president is being presidential, which is not something that the challenger can say, right? Right, because you get a photo op when you sure. when you're the president and you show up at a place like yeah. that you are going to be in the media that evening okay when you know uh congress passes a spending bill okay they've done their job they passed a spending bill on the other hand these spending bills as we discussed and i believe what was it season two maybe season one okay about appropriations bills appropriations bills have all kinds of goodies okay, for current members of Congress to proudly go ahead and say back home, hey, I got you this road project, or I saved your community center, okay? On one hand, they say, I did my job. I'm your elected official. On the other hand, they get to say that, whereas the challenger doesn't, right? Challenger doesn't get to say that, okay? You know, my member of Congress is Abigail Spanberger, right? If Abigail Spanberger here in the next couple of weeks um, goes ahead and has some local events where she highlights how, you know, a bill that she co-sponsored or a bill she voted for meant that X got done, okay, in my congressional district. Well, on one hand, she can say, I'm merely informing my public of the work that Congress did that I did for them. The fact that she might say that in the, you know, two months before the election, well, isn't that convenient? So. The line gets very blurry. Yeah, okay. Between governing and campaigning. Right. And that's why one's gotta be careful when they throw around, you know, the claim, oh, that politician is wagging the dog. Well, are well, they bagging the dog or are they actually doing their job? 
But it also seems to me that wagging the dog versus putting your thumb on the scale are two different things. Yeah, because, wagging the dog is a distraction technique. Yes. Look over there, a pterodactyl about to kill us, right? Yes. Whereas putting your thumb on the scale is, is um, I have been doing a job. Yeah, what are you? I'm going to, to choose to inform you at this particular moment. What? Yeah, what? If you're a member of Congress, if you're a president, are you supposed to go 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 around saying, um, "I'm going to be humble and I'm not going to go ahead and tell you uh, the good work I'm doing"? I don't yeah, know. That, but, yeah, okay. I, I I don't know anybody in any job that goes ahead and says, "I'm not going to talk about all the good stuff I did." Oh, I know lots of people, lots of jobs that do it, but not narcissists. And if you're a politician, you're probably a narcissist. Narcissist, right? I, it just happens to work out that way most yeah, of the time. Yeah, right. You know, and, and, and wagging the dog refers to pseudo events. They look like a real governing event, but it's a pseudo event, right? So an example I gave my students when we discussed wag the dog was votes taken in Congress, okay, where... Oh, when you know there's no danger of it actually costing you anything. Like the like the bill that came out of the House of Representatives, we will spend $80 trillion in the next 10 minutes on COVID. And the Senate was like, I'm sorry, we can't hear you. What yeah. are you saying? Because they could take that vote knowing they were not going to have yeah. to pay the price for taking that vote. In fact, Nia, I gave that explicit example. Hey, look at me. I've been paying attention. Okay. Because I went ahead and said, okay, in the week we're recording this podcast, the Senate took a vote call on a skinny stimulus. That's how the media referred to it, a skinny yes. stimulus, right? Now, the Republicans control the Senate, but in the Senate, for a vote to actually be taken on a bill, you have to first go ahead and vote to close debate. And the Republicans knew there weren't enough votes to close debate. So there was no danger no danger that they would have to be stuck with that bill. In fact, they took the vote so they could go ahead and say all the Democrats who refused to end debate were against actually taking up the bill. Right. They don't want to help the American people. They want you to starve and be evicted and have yes. horrible things happen to you. Aren't they terrible? Look at us. We're trying to do something. Likewise, the Democrats... Because it's an election year. It's an election year, right? That is designed to go ahead and distract you from the fact that the United States Congress did not pass a second stimulus bill. And both parties should be stuck with that going into the election. But instead, they engaged in wag the dog activities so that they can go ahead and say, it wasn't us, it was them. It was them. So, okay? so to your earlier example, Invading Kuwait, trying to defend Kuwait. Oh, hey, that could be a legitimate foreign policy, right? Or it could have been a, we don't actually care all that much about Kuwait, but we're up for re-election and we need to look like we're, <laughs> like we care about world events or we care about Kuwait or we care about whatever. Yes. Okay. Yes. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a little complicated, but it is an interesting idea because you do have to thread as, the, as a politician, you do want people to know what you're doing because you want to get reelected. But 
I can see where, 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 sorry, where challengers would say, well, that's unfair. I haven't had the opportunity to do those things. So I have no way to talk about those things. Yes. Except to talk about them in opposition. That's and it's right. really hard to say to your, to your local, like if, if Abigail Spanberger came out and said, here's a new road and somebody, her challenger said, roads are terrible. Nobody in our county needs a road, right? Then they would look like an idiot. Yes. So they can't, they can't really oppose roads. Yeah. They'd have to say, well, she could have made a better road or a bigger road or a nicer road, but that's the worst they can do. They can't. Yes. And that's, Oh, what, that puts them in a really tough position to fight back. And that's why wag the dog pseudo events. Okay. Can be so effective in campaigns because not only do they distract but they put your opposition in a really difficult bind in regards to being able to attack them. Oh, well, who was going to say, oh, no, we shouldn't defend little Kuwait against <laughs> Iraq? Like, who was going to say that? Nobody was going to say that. Nobody in the United States was going to say, stupid old Kuwait. Nobody cares about them. We were like, hey, you can't be doing that. That's not right. Like, I could oh I see that's really clever yes that's a really clever thing to do yes if you can get away with it if, if it you works. can get away with it that's if right if it works it did not work for President Clinton Clinton oh my was goodness. like look over there and people kept saying yeah we don't care about what's over there could you tell us about the women please like yes. he just it didn't matter what he threw in another direction nobody looked in the other direction everybody was looking at him and part of that I put to you is because when faced with being actually caught, he tried to wiggle out. Yes. There, there seems to be, there, it seems to be effective to say to the American public, yep, I did a thing and it wasn't a good thing and I'm sorry. And it's now between me and my spouse or it's now between me and whatever. Like, then it doesn't leave you room to keep talking about it and to keep yeah you know it, what i mean to keep yeah, it going yeah and and i understand why a lot of politicians refuse just to go ahead and own up to it because we've also had examples in our country's history you know this week was the anniversary of gerald ford pardoning richard nixon okay yes. it was the anniversary this week um, and, and I've often thought about um, the difficulty Ford had in making that decision because he had to know, and it was borne out in the public opinion polls. It cost it was, him the election. Yeah, it was one of the things that cost him the election, okay? Because a majority of Americans, okay, didn't believe he should have pardoned Nixon. On the other hand, okay, Ford just owned up to it. He just came out and said, I am doing this because I think we have to move on as a nation. Yeah. Okay. And I think ultimately history proved him right. Yes. That, that by closing that door, he could stop that, that poison from spreading further. Yeah. He could, he could narrow that, the, the, um, the pain from yes. that. Yeah. And, and start uh, and start, you know, but yeah, but it cost him the election. Do you do the right thing, even though you know it's going to cost you the election? Yeah, because, you know, I've often wondered if Bill Clinton had gone ahead and owned up to the fact 
that he was a serial philanderer, okay? What that would have meant to how Al Gore ran his presidential campaign. Because one of the critiques of Al Gore's presidential campaign in 2000 was that Al Gore ran away from everything that the Clinton administration actually achieved. Right. Because Al Gore was so afraid he was going to get stained, okay, by the fact that he was Bill Clinton's vice president. Right. A president, okay, who almost was found guilty in impeachment. Right. Okay. He, he distanced himself from what had been a rather successful presidency. Oh, my goodness, yes. Right? Well, and, and also, 30 years later, what did it cost Hillary Clinton? Yes. If he had, yes, you know what I mean? Yes. That, that would not have been a sticking point that anybody could have used against her if there had been. But I know that in one of the debates, um, Donald Trump brought several of the women, right? Like he made it an issue that it wouldn't have been had Bill Clinton said, yep, that was the thing. And I did it and it was wrong. Yes. Um, okay. But, you know, we don't know how. We don't know what, what could have been, would have been, should have been. It's just, a, it's, it is interesting to think about. I think about Ford and what a terrible position he must have. Like, it must have been a really hard decision, but I think he made the good person decision yes. by putting the welfare of the nation above the welfare of himself. Yeah. And I because, think that's when you know you've got a good president is when they say, the people come first. And my happiness is not part of that equation. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, he was a president that had very little political capital, right? Right. He didn't run for election and get chosen as vice president. He, re he was appointed as a vice president re to replace Spiro Agnew, who had to resign. Yeah, he's he the only president in our nation, right, that didn't, wasn't elected to either of the offices. That's right. Okay, he so he had president. political capital. Okay, he was the head of the political party, okay, who basically just trashed the presidency, right. okay, um, and, you know, this was a guy who was just like, you know, I have a shot here to win the presidency on my own merit, okay, I mean, the political, politically expedient thing for him to have done was to just left Richard Nixon hanging in the wind. Right. Okay. To let the trial go forward, to let him be yes. found guilty. Right. You know, let the Justice Department go ahead and investigate Nixon further and see, you know, which laws he did break. Okay. Right. Okay. What he knew and when he knew it. And yep. bring, bring an indict, indictment against him. Okay. But Ford did the decent thing. Okay. Um, you know, I mean... And I've often thought about that um, uh, because I know it's easy to go ahead and trash Nixon um, and trash Ford's pardon. But I was just like, wow. I mean, think about the guts he had to go ahead and do that, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Oh, hey, so for oh. our next episode, can we talk about Bob Woodward and his October except September surprise? Oh, yes. Okay. For listeners, oh. uh, listeners, um, uh, in a future podcast episode, uh, we're going to look at another election phenomenon uh, that's referred to as the October Surprise. Okay, 
So a little bit of foreshadowing. I occasionally like to do that at the end of my class sessions. Okay. <laughs> well, and apparently he's been involved in several of these. Yes, yes, he Bob Woodward. He just, he sort of is like, yes. oh, excuse me, Mr. Nixon, I'd like to talk to you. Mr. Deep Throat told me some things I'd like to talk to you about. Yes. And now he's like, yes. you know, doing it again. So yeah. um, no. good. No. Okay, yeah. well, then we'll talk about that in another episode. Okay, well done. Thank you. Yes. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this